This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. How many of you smoke pot? More older Canadians, including seniors, are using marijuana as fewer minors are lighting up. And that is according to a new study released by Statistics Canada. Nearly 5 million Canadians used pot in 2015, and it's a growing trend that also marks a demographic shift away from what was once a, quote, youth-driven market in the 1960s and 70s. Makes total sense. The same people who were doing it in the 60s and 70s are still doing it, but uh, they're a little older. A steady decline in use among youth has been outweighed by those increases among older people, and that's led to an overall increase in cannabis consumptions. Older Canadians also consume bigger quantities, according to the report. Um, What do you think of that? Um, Do you have a smoke of pot occasionally, uh, whether it's recreational or do you use it for medicine? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to Brent Zettel, who is president and CEO of Canamed Therapeutics, which is a licensed producer of medical marijuana, and he is hoping to expand into the recreational market. Hello, Brent. Hello, Libby. Well, what do you make of these statistics? Well, it's an interesting analysis, but I think it's a, it's a fair statement that, that in, in we seeing that the baby boomers are comfortable with uh, with some cannabis usage, especially it's you know for two purposes. One is obviously the recreational experience, but also they're you know learning to rely on that more as a, a medical use or potential symptom management thing. And I think it's a it's what we believed was happening irregardless. What was surprising to us, though, is that they actually now are at, at uh, parallel to or greater than what the university age uh, um, individuals are consuming. So that's an interesting trend line, but we do expect that trend line to continue. Um, really? So um, why do you find that so surprising? Well, you know, the, you know, normally we think that people have a more conservative view as they get older, and I think that's, a, that's where the we have a certain paradigm, but I think now we're looking at this more from a, um, there's a, there's more at, at, at play here in terms of the type of usage that's being done with uh, medical cannabis and also now recreational cannabis. I think it has a lot to do with uh, perceptions are changing. I think it a lot has to do with our, how we're approaching uh, all of the, the lifestyle changes that we're having, including some of the negatives with some of the other things that we're using, such as, uh, such as alcohol and driving. So I think that we're finding that these are alternatives, and not only that, but they're also alternatives to medicine, but they're alternatives to lifestyle. And there's an open-mindedness within the baby boomers that were quite comfortable with it in the 60s, and I think it's just a natural progression. Um, Do you think it might have anything to do with there have been some medical studies which uh, show that, that marijuana can be harmful for people who are very young, people whose brains are still developing? Do you think uh, that could be a reason for the demographic divide? 
Well, you know, kids these days have access to a lot more stuff than when when the baby boomers are there. But I think that the studies certainly point to the dangers, and I think our youth are a lot more savvy when it comes to being aware of of those things that are dangerous when we say they're dangerous. And so I think that does play into it that the youth are being you know the no knowledge and the parents that have the children say that you got to be really careful because this could hurt you for life if you take it you know too early in your life but then later on it'll be fine now that's a tough message to sell to kids because you know unlike you know alcohol i mean alcohol is just sort of well received at a very young age so i think we're going to see the trend lines continue to move in that direction that's going to move towards where the young people will be, I'm hoping, will continue to be more cautious because it's it would be more damaging for them. And at the same time, leaving it more open-minded for seniors who are looking at using this both from a lifestyle usage as well as from a medical usage. And uh, uh, Brent, finally, um, what do you think this will mean as we head towards legalization? Well, you know, the legalization question is going to be one where, you know, we have to think of a, a proper system that prevents you know, access to, you know, to the youth, or at least tries to protect them to, to a large extent. And then at the same time, gives a, an appropriate access to individuals who are looking for both the, I would say, access to the, what would be the, the recreational use as well as the medical use. It just turns out because this product is not available in pharmacies, I think we're going to see a lot of baby boomers looking for their medicine, essentially, in the in the recreational access product to the government system. So I think that trend line is going to continue. I think the consumption is going to continue. I think it speaks to the fact that the market is for real, that uh, that's a, you know, the Deloitte and Touche said it was an $8 billion market. Now the, the people here are saying it's somewhere between a 55 or 5 to $6 billion market. I think it's these are large numbers when they're you know, multiple, comparing it to half to two-thirds of the beer market, for example. So I think we're going to see this is now playing out as, a, as a, a real industry, but I think we're going to see the trend lines continue into that, into that direction. Okay. Brent Zettel, thank you so much for that. You're more, more than welcome. Okay. Uh, now we're going to turn to another aspect of this study, and that is uh, the use of cannabis in nursing homes. A licensed producer called WeedMD announced uh, this week that it is going to become the, quote, preferred supplier of marijuana to three long-term care homes, uh, sorry about that, people, to three long-term care homes and retirement home operators. And they include People Care Communities, which runs seven care homes in southwestern Ontario, including two in London. Anyway, taken together, this deal covers more than a 1,000 long-term care beds. And the NDP health critic is very concerned about this. And uh, Francelina is on the line with us. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Libby. How are you? I'm fine. So um, what concerns you about this? Well, first of all, it's not the access that I'm wor- that I'm concerned about. Uh, if uh, seniors, no matter where they live, if they live in a retirement home, if they live in a long-term care home, uh, they can make their own choices with most of the time with their primary care providers, their, their nurse practitioners or their family physician, and decide if they want to include cannabis in their um, in their lives. The part that I'm uh, not happy about is that when you give exclusivity to one producer, uh, this has uh, many issues for me. The first one is that um, a lot of people 
are on cannabis, most of them it's cannabis oil, um, the, I, I want to, um, to tell everybody, just so that everybody knows that um, there are two main ingredients in cannabis. Yep. There's the THC that everybody knows, that's what gets you high, but there's also the CBD. Uh, the, uh, uh, yeah. So the CBD is, uh, and when you buy it, you can decide how much THC and how much CBD you want. And the CBD is the medicinal compound? Uh, no, both of them are. The THC and the CBD are both medicinal. They're just used for different reasons. Uh, one, uh, the CBD is used lots for an anti-inflammatory and pain control. And the THC can be used for people that have anxiety or, or other reason. It's used lots for people with PTSD. Anyway, the, I'm not a doctor, but a doctor can explain to you um, how to do this. But the, this is exactly what it is. A physician will explain to you which strain, which brand, which dosage of those two medicines that are uh, contained within cannabis uh, will help you the most, depending on what your uh, symptoms are. And then you get used to buying it from anybody. There's, I can name 10 or 11 that have a share of the market in Ontario. Uh, you get used to that particular strain, that particular brand, that particular mix. And then just because you move, you can live in London right now and get your cannabis through, I will say, Tweed. And then just because you move into a retirement home, you cannot continue that medicine. You have to uh, start over with a new producer uh, this is wrong. It's not because you move that your freedom of choice should be taken away from you, especially when you're using this as a medicine. They should not force you uh, to purchase from somebody who may not have the blend that you want, who may not have the products that you are used to that is effective for you, simply because they have struck a deal so that both the cannabis producer and the retirement home can get a cut out of the money that you will spend to get that medicine. After, the whole I, thing I, repulsed I, me. I, I was going to ask about that. What exactly is in it for the nursing homes making this deal? Have you, have, are you aware of exactly what's in those contracts? It's, it's always the same. Whenever there is an exclusivity contract, actually, I just, in the last health bill that went through, I just put an amendment that we should not give exclusivity to any uh, uh, medicine producer, uh, it was turned down by the liberal, but this is something that I will continue to push. It's always for the same reason. It's that everybody wants a cut. There's, there's only one reason for those. It's to make money. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that money um, takes some pressure off the system, is it still a bad idea? The problem is that very few people get their cannabis reimbursed. There is no system for cannabis you pay yourself. Uh, the government doesn't pay for it. There are no drug plans in Ontario so far who pays for it. The only one that gets it paid is are a few veterans uh, that have a very specific problem. They get reimbursed. But that is like a very, very minute part of the market. The rest of it, you pay yourself. Um, so... Um, Basically, they're taking money out of the pocket of seniors. Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, what about that? There are a lot of people who say that medicinal cannabis should be covered. 
uh, that is an entirely different conversation that I would be happy to have with you. And uh, I would I would tend to agree that uh, if it is medicinal, if it helps you, and I would say the body of evidence uh, that is coming out is very, very telling. Uh, people that used to be on opioid, people that used to be on a very high dose of uh, painkillers have shown improvement. Here again, I am not a doctor, and it will be up to your physician and your nurse practitioners to have those conversations, not I. But at the end of the day, um, should um, your drug plan, uh, should the government uh, considered um, reimbursing, including this into the formulary? I would say yes, but it's a very different conversation yeah. from should a, a producer has the exclusive market into a nursing home or a long-term care home and prevent you from continuing the medicine that you were used to just because it's a different provider, given that one way or another, you have to pay. Nobody else reimburses you. Okay, well, well, Madame Jelena, thank you so much for uh, telling us about this. I think uh, it, um, it's an important issue among any, many issues with long-term care homes. I agree. Okay, thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. Uh, Heads up, uh, we're going to be having an interview with the Premier tomorrow, unless something changes between now and then. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And right now, we break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.